2: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. CTMobile.com. mobilecom We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station.
1: Let Zeppelin and Bruce Levine welcome you back to Inside the Clubhouse. A show that you can hear every Saturday from 9 to 11, 52 weeks out of the year. My co-host Matt Spiegel experiencing a little technical issue right now as he works that out. I am very pleased to bring in the ESPN and marquee color analyst and uh, also baseball expert, my good friend and former great ball player for the Cubs and many other teams, Rick Sudcliffe joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Rick.
3: I'm not having any troubles uh, with our connection, but I got to tell you, I'm in a little bit of shock right now, Bruce.
1: And that is?
3: Well, I, I, I tuned in a little bit earlier just to make sure everything was connected and all, and I heard a commercial on 670 The Score, um, and I believe it was you singing.
1: Well, I do take requests, so if there's any, anything <laughs> anything that you're interested in, uh, I can guarantee you it will not sound very good, but uh, <laughs> it will get people's attention. And so, and the, for instance, on the Jeff Bukovich Nationwide Insurance ad, I sing... Oh, it's outstanding,
3: and, other than the, the singing part. I, I mean, I loved it all, <laughs> but I, I mean, have, have you listened to it?
1: Uh, I've been doing that ad for probably about 15 years, so... Uh, he seems to still be in business and doing quite well, so it's I'm, working out.
3: And I'm just Sud- glad you didn't start off the introduction with me with uh, replaying part of uh, that song we did, Men in Blue, back in 84, so oh, we'll, God. we'll call it even and go from there, buddy.
1: It's a long, long time since 1945. Come on, Sud. I'm starting you out. I'm I'm starting you up. You you know all the words still, don't you? It was a it was a, it was a bad song then, but it's uh, it's it's one to to remember. Rick Sutcliffe joining us in Inside the Clubhouse as Matt Spiegel works on some technical issues. Sut and I will continue the conversation here. First and foremost, Sut, uh, a tip of the hat to you. And uh, talk about the your idea that you're going to be donating your salary from ESPN to the baseball startup this year. What, what, what is, where did that emanate, and what, what's, the, what's the idea behind what you plan on doing this year? Because it's a, a significant amount of money in six figures.
3: You know, Bruce, um, <clears throat> as everybody knows in this day and age, and, and we're hopefully um, getting closer to getting back to whatever the new norm will be, um, there's, there's a lot of people that are hurting right now. And we all know it from our family and from our friends, and we're all doing everything we possibly can. Um, You know, it's one thing to write a check, it's one thing to to make a donation. But as you know from the time that we met and spent in Chicago and the things that uh, I basically have done throughout my career and and even continue today, um, I learned a long time ago when I was at an event when I played for the Cleveland Indians, it was for the Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Um, I, I was at the event just when I started out with the Dodgers. I got paid to do things like that. And as I went to Cleveland, I was making enough money that I didn't need that, but I still enjoyed it. And I remember at the end of, of, of this picnic, all, there there's about 30 kids out there playing. The adults were there, and they were sitting around a table crying. And I said, what's wrong? They said, well, this is the last event for these kids. And I why? I said, well, we need $5,000 to continue it, and we don't have it. And at that time, Bruce, I didn't have it either. Um, but I learned at that time from the head guy, when he told me, he said, Rick, five minutes of your time to these kids will always be worth more than 5,000 of your dollars. Um, it's one thing to, to write a check. It's one thing to, um, you know, financially help people when you can, which is what we're going to try to do. If we get back to playing baseball at some point, which I honestly believe we will. Uh, but it's another, And it's more important for, for the time that you spend. And, you know, when we look around today at the nurses and the doctors and the first responders and the food lines, um, there's a lot of people that, that are becoming bigger and bigger heroes in our eyes than anybody ever, um, re- I don't think, realized. You know, for somebody to call a baseball player a hero, I don't think they'll ever do that again. They shouldn't.
1: We're going to reestablish my partner here. Matt Spiegel joins us back. On inside the clubhouse, uh, took a little break. Uh, had some coffee. Our <laughs> great technical people worked it out. Uh, Matt, let me reintroduce you to our good friend Rick Sutcliffe.
2: Well, I, I, I was I was actually listening to Bruce's greatest hits. So he really he does a, <laughs> that's a he short, does a tremendous job. That's a judge.
1: really short forty-five.
2: Oh man, you hear him do "Brandy" by Looking Glass. He just absolutely kills <laughs> <does> that one. <laughs> um, n- nice, to, nice to talk to you, Rick. I, I you know, I, I, we've referenced a lot that 1981 season in terms of the big break that had to be in the middle because of the strike, and then when you guys ramped it back up, and uh, and they kicked things off with the All Star game and. And I'm wondering if you can tell people what that was like uh, a, a little bit as you had this big pause and then had to kind of get your, your pitching shoulder and your elbow, get the whole mechanism back warmed up and ready to go. What was that challenge like?
3: Well, Matt, it's great to be with you as well. And and uh, as I have said before, um, the template for what could be done Uh, Once we get the okay from the medical people, that it's safe to go back and in some shape or form uh, play the game of baseball on the field, whether it's with fans or or, or what have you. Uh, The template is there from what happened in 1981. Now, obviously, the circumstances are are a lot different. Uh, We were out for 50-some days. Uh, a lot of the players didn't think we were coming back to play. So I'll be honest with you. I went to the Lake of the Ozarks down in Missouri. I learned to water ski. Uh, Baseball was kind of, you know, one of the last things you thought about back then. That's not the case now. Um, Everybody right now is doing everything they can, Yeah, we were at the halfway point of spring training. Uh, The pitchers were all geared up. Guys were going four and five innings. Um, They were close. They were close. They could have gone out and pitched in a major league game at that point. To shut it down and then fire it back up is going to be a lot more difficult than what it was uh, back in 81 when everybody had 50-some games under their belt. But I I just think even though a lot of things about it aren't right and, and, and it's impossible to recreate a full season, Um, I I think back to, to, you know, we played 57 games. The Dodgers won the first half. Uh, In in the second half, we played 53 games. The Astros won. So the Dodgers played the Astros in in the playoffs. Well, the the team overall that had the best record in that division was the Cincinnati Reds. They, They went home. There was no postseason for them. So even back then, it wasn't perfect. But we were able to have a a pennant race, kind of like uh, the NASCAR sprint race that they do at the end of the year, and uh, uh, you know, with with with, with the with the NASCAR. Um, But but we had a you know we had a chase towards the end, and then we had a playoff, and then we had a World Series, and we had a champion. We turned the page, and we went on to 1982. We came back, and we started with the All Star Game. I don't know, I don't know if that's what Major League Baseball is thinking about, but. if you want to bring the fans back to the game, whether it be on TV or in person, why wouldn't you come back with the best thing you have to offer? And for baseball, as we all know, uh, if it's not the World Series, it's the All-Star game.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Rick Sutcliffe joining us on Inside the Clubhouse for a few more minutes from his uh, place in San Diego. Matt Spiegel, Bruce Levine uh, joining you on Inside the Clubhouse every week from 9 to 11, 52 weeks out of the year. Set, uh, you know, going back uh, just a little bit uh, to spring training, what did you see out of the Chicago Cubs uh, that uh, we all had a, you know, drop on uh, on March the 12th and 13th, and everybody eventually uh, heading home? What did you see from from that team, from that pitching staff, uh, from that group of guys? Because you're there every day uh, during the entire spring training, just watching and having much more than a uh, announcer's uh, uh, point of view or viewpoint, but an inside-out point of view, being in there every day?
3: I, I think the number one thing, Bruce, that we all felt was um, the presence of David Ross. Um, I'll be honest with you. I've done a, a lot of speak, speaking gigs, as you have, Matt. You've done the same thing. I don't think there's a tougher gig I've ever heard of than getting up in front of a major league baseball organization, in front of the president and the owners, and and, and being clear and being positive and having a point. Um, I, I, I even prayed for David Ross, because I know how tough it is. I've seen Lasorda, and I've seen Bochy. I, I've seen some guys that were really good at it. I've seen some guys that weren't. And you just didn't know what it was going to be like for David. Yeah, I've heard him on the air. He's terrific with ESPN when we were partners. Um, I, I mean, he knocked it out of the park. I mean, he was absolutely perfect in everything he said. He was honest. He let the players know he was going to be honest with them. So there was a different tone right right from the very beginning. Um, there was a, a, an anger in the guy 's eyes about the way the season ended last year, and a lot of people have asked me, and we were going to talk a lot about it during the season about um, you know letting Joe Madden go and, and all of a sudden it was david ross 's opportunity. Guys, I think back to like 1977-78 when I was in AAA and I was on a pitching staff at one time with Fernando Valenzuela, Bob Welch, um, Ted Power, Dave Stewart. I I was on a a AAA rotation with a lot of ability and a lot of guys, Bruce, as you know, we had nowhere to go because the Dodgers' major league staff was, was loaded. I mean, they had Don Sutton, they had Burt Hooten, Tommy John, Andy. I mean, it went on and on. They had an outstanding rotation, nowhere for us to go. Well, in baseball, when, you're, when you've dominated at the AAA level, the big league team has to find a spot for you. And to me, that's what happened. I believe Joe Madden may go on. I hope he goes on to be a, a Hall of Fame manager. But it was time. If you're going to use David Ross at any point – you had to use him now. It had to be now. His time. He was ready. He had spent enough time preparing for this that it was his time. And I, I just think it was absolutely the right move. I talked to Joe a lot in spring training. Um, everything is, is, is all good and done. Joe was happy there. And I know that the Cubs made the right hire in bringing Rossi uh, back in uniform.
2: Well, I'd love to hear you talk about him that way, Rick, because – people you know they they, they enjoyed this you know cute cuddly idea of grandpa rossi but what you're talking about is what the cubs have always known about him what they were missing about him in the clubhouse from the moment he left after 2016 they were lacking it and it's that i've been trying to figure out how to talk about it maybe you can help he's got like that mix of accountability but likability like yeah. he's like you want to please him um and you're afraid not to please him like he just kind of has that natural sort of secret sauce did lasorda have that or did Bochi have that other guys that you've seen and what is how how can i help describe that for people
3: you know lasorda would go off uh yeah from time to time and 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 he would pick his moments you remember tommy used to go out and coach third uh Mm -hmm. to try to get the team going offensively well the genius of Lasorda back then was that when he would go to coach third, it was normally when the opposing team had the worst starting pitcher they had. So it was it was always going to look like you know, boy Tommy Boy, he's he's amazing. How he's a he never coached third when Tom Siever was on the mound or, or or you know Steve Carlton, you know Bruce Bochy. You you always knew that was there, and you were afraid of it. Um, you didn't want to challenge Bochy because you were going to lose in a situation like that. I I, I just you know Rossi. I go back to two things, and you guys have heard me on ESPN and you will again on Marquee. There were two things to me that turned the Cubs organization around. Yeah, they brought Theo in. Yeah, there was a lot of different managers. But there were two situations in uniform. One was when uh, Aroldis Chapman threw behind Nate Sherholes and Anthony Rizzo put the glove down in Cincinnati and challenged the whole team. Enough's enough. All right, we stink. You're better than we are. But you know what? It's over. You're not bullying us anymore. Let's go. Let's get it on. The other situation was David Ross's first spring. Grandpa Rossi comes to camp. Everybody loves him. He's funny. You look at, uh, you know, Bruce, you were there a lot in the clubhouse. There's, you know, ten guys around Rossi's locker. Everybody's laughing, having a good time. And then all of a sudden, you know, right before we played our first game, we went over to Sloan Park, and we were going through infield drills. And Starlin Castro was our shortstop, and Starlin was being Starlin. He, he really didn't care about being there. Um, he, wasn't, he, he wasn't putting everything into it. He was going through the motions. David Ross took his mask off. He got in, 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 in Castro's face, said, that's why you guys are – I mean, I can't use the words. That's why you're losers. That's why you haven't won. And, 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 and if you keep going at it like this, you're not going to win. And if you're going to play like this, then you need to get out of here. And he literally sent him from Sloan Park, the stadium, back to the minor league complex. And i, I it wasn't only did Castro take notice. You know, eventually he got moved from shortstop to he was a utility player. Then he played second. He made some great contributions, and he was a great offensive player. Uh, he, made, he was an all-star several times, but the reason for that was because they were a bad team and you had to have an all-star. The point being, David Ross set the tone on what he was like and how important the game of baseball was and how it was supposed to be played. So he set that tone back probably the third week that he was in a Cub uniform. So Theo had that to go on. He knew that that was there. And, of course, it came out uh, again this spring, and it will again as soon as we get back to playing.
1: The Red Baron, Rick Sutcliffe, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse for a few more minutes and. In- said we could do two hours with you every week. That's how, how much fun you are and how interesting you are. Let's take you back to 1984, uh, 1989. Uh, we lost uh, Jim Fry, the manager, and then eventually the GM of that uh, 1989 team this week. Uh, Jim, 89, passed away. Um, there were That 1984 season was uh, you know, something I'll, I'll never forget. As much as the 2016 season was unique and certainly historic and something Cub fans will always remember. To me, like, 84 was, uh, was a coming out for the Chicago Cub organization, uh, getting a, a winner in Dallas Green, getting a winner in Jim Fry, getting winning players like yourself in that June 15th trade that year that sent Joe Carter and Mel Hall to the Cleveland Indians. And that turnaround and that team... Uh, Your your thoughts about Jim Fry and and his impact on that club as well.
3: Well, Bruce, the first word that that comes to mind is is a man that was dedicated. Um, He dedicated uh, basically his whole life to the game of baseball. Uh, He was a high school teammate with Zimmer. Um, He never made it to the big leagues. He played a lot of years at the minor league level uh... matt we know what that's like um, it, it it it's it's not a great life there's a lot of travel there's very little money involved um, he never made it to the big league so as he got into his his second career he was a scout and then all of a sudden he was a coach and he became a manager a general manager uh... he became a vice president um, you know he he was dedicated to the game of baseball but i think maybe one thing a lot of people didn't know uh, bruce we knew it from being around him a lot This guy was hilarious. Um, This guy, when he would get with Zim or somebody, one of his old cronies, they would start talking about baseball stories. Um, Jim had a way uh, uh, of just even embellishing a story if he had to, uh, to entertain. He, He was terrific. I ran into him a few years later after he had gotten fired as the GM, and uh, it was we were in New York, I think, maybe Baltimore. And I said, Jim, what are you up to? And he said, Well, I'm, I'm still getting paid. He goes, I'm the, I'm the vice president. I go, oh, great. And he goes, not really. He goes, they told me that I was the vice president in charge of Baltimore. And <laughs> he, said, he, he said, they told me if we need anything from you about Baltimore, we'll call. And he said, it's been a year and a half and not one person has called me. But, you know, that was his sense of humor. He wasn't bitter about anything. Um, you know, people give Rhino and they give myself and Sarge and a lot of guys a lot of credit for what went on in 84. But as you said, along with Dallas Green, he, he, there should be a statue of Dallas Green, in my opinion, outside of Wrigley Field, because mm-hmm. for those of you that are listening now and those of you who don't go back and look it up, go back and check out the 1983 season for the Chicago Cubs. Dallas green was the one that put it all together. And he put the pieces to that puzzle together in 84 and a big, big piece of that puzzle. As we know was Jim Fry.
2: Yep. Hey, so what does it feel like <clears throat> to be rolling the way you were rolling? I remember, you know, watching Jake Arrieta in, in 2015 and seeing that kind of Bob Gibson-esque run that he was on. But I mean, you, once you become a Cub, at 16 and one with an ERA under three, what was the confidence like? What was different about you, if, if anything, during that stretch?
3: Well, Matt, I think the biggest thing was just that I, I was with a better team. Um, you know, I was with the Dodgers in 81, uh, even with the strike and all. Um, the team went on to win the World Series. Um, I won the ERA title in 82. Uh, I won 18 games. It was an all-star in 83. Um, in 84, I got off to kind of a rough start. But um, you go back and look at the, the, the players, and I'm not knocking anybody. You get to the big leagues, you, you you're, you're amazing. But the team I had behind me in Cleveland was nothing like what I had When I came to Chicago and I remember Don Drysdale telling me when I got traded there, he goes, hey, it's different now. He goes, it's not like you're going to be locked up in a one to one game after seven innings. He goes, take the mound knowing you're going to get four runs or more every single game. And what he talked about was being more aggressive and throwing more strikes and not worrying about a solo home run here and there. That's what turned me around, then, and I'll be honest with you. That's exactly the conversation I had with Jake Arrieta before the 2015 season. I saw him pitch in Baltimore. I saw a guy with a lot of ability, but I saw a guy – that didn't trust his stuff, that wasn't as aggressive as he should have been. He came over. Obviously, Theo and the scouts saw that. Obviously, Chris Bosio had a lot to do with it. But it was Jake Arietta that just realized that the team behind him was better than the one that he came from. And because of that, he became better, as I did.
1: Uh, in closing with you, Sut, uh, tomorrow on Hit and Run, our Sunday show that Matt hosts, he will have Greg Maddox on that show. Now, are there any stories that you can tell on the radio about Greg Maddox and uh, clean it up? Or I mean, is there are there any stories that you know you can tell about him as a teammate uh, that are funny but still uh, good enough to go on the radio?
3: I'd have to say, Bruce, the one with with Andre Dawson uh, when he got hit by Eric Shaw. Um, a lot of people know I charged them out from the dugout. I wasn't even in a game. I got suspended for 10 days. Um, uh, everybody knows what happened there. But what people don't realize, uh, I know you do, Bruce, because you were there. Matt, you probably remember. Greg Maddox was pitching that game. At that point, I think he was like 5 and 15. I mean, he was told that after that game, if he didn't pitch well, he was going back to the minors. Uh, we had a big lead, and Greg was supposed to go out there for the top of the fifth to to pick up a victory, a win. And I don't know, we were like 11 to 3 or something like that. And the umpires are yelling at me that I've been kicked out. I got to go. I got to leave the dugout. And I went up to Greg and I said, Hey, listen, you do whatever you want in the sixth inning. But I'm telling you right now, go out there and get three outs, get the win. And then in the sixth inning, if you want to hit somebody, do what you want to do. And he looked at me and he said, No, I'm hitting the first guy. And I said, Hey, I'm in charge around here. You know that. I'm telling you what to do. You're not, he says, with tears in his eyes, he goes, he goes, Sut, I don't care if I ever get another win. I'm hitting the first guy. And I yeah. argued with him. It didn't do any good. He went out there, and I'm telling you, it was 95 miles an hour. He stuck it right in the middle of Benito Santiago's back. That's a type of teammate Greg Maddox was from the very beginning, and that's a teammate he was to the very end. I'll tell you another real quick story. He's 5-15. and 15. We can't figure it out. All of a sudden, a guy hit what should have been a stand-up triple, and he stopped at second base. And Dick Pohl looked at me, and he said, did you see that? And I went, yeah. I go, what's going on? He goes, let's go take a look when the game's over. We went up and looked at video from the center field camera. Greg Maddox was tipping every pitch that he threw. You know to throw a changeup, you've got to have your glove wider than you do with a fastball. That base runner stopped at second base because he wanted to give the signs to the hitter. If he got to third base, he wasn't going to be able to do that. Once Greg Maddox heard about that, he eventually was able to turn it around. He would put a change-up grip in his glove, and he'd let the base runner at second base relay it to the hitter. And then as he started his delivery, a stretch, he would change it to a fastball and just totally, totally mess up the opponent. That was the end of that. And, of course, what was it, 355 wins later, uh, Mr. Maddox is a Cooperstown.
1: We really appreciate it, Sut. It was a great 24 minutes with you. I know we could do this for hours. We're going to be looking forward to your contributions again on ESPN and Marquee Network, and we hope to have you on uh, on a regular basis because uh, nobody tells stories. Nobody more interesting than, than Rick Sutcliffe. Thanks for taking some time out today.
3: Well, buddy, do me one more favor. Just sing a little bit of that jingle with me before I go.
1: <laughs> Nationwide is on your side.
3: <laughs> JeffFoot.com is on your side. I, I have had no Sutcliffe. idea. Yeah, man. Had no you guys idea. have a great weekend. Maddie, take care. <laughs> All right. Sorry, a pleasure. You, thank, Bye, thank you. Bruce. The Red Baron,
1: Rick Sutcliffe, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. Matt, you could do five hours with Rick Sutcliffe. He'd never run out of stories.
2: Uh, and appreciate the setup there. I got some good stuff to throw uh, back at Greg Maddox when we talk to him tomorrow on Absolutely. Hit and Run. Uh, he is Bruce are Levine. All about. Absolutely. He's Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. It is inside the clubhouse right here on 670 The score. Yes, Hit and Run tomorrow morning. Uh, Ken Berry the Bandit, as Jim DeShaza mentioned earlier, and Greg Maddox. Really looking forward to that conversation. But before then, Another guest here, uh, your old friend Mike Rizzo, longtime Nationals GM, World Series champion, son of a legendary scout baseball lifer. Let's get his take on where the game stands right now. It is inside the clubhouse right here on 670 The Score, this hour of which is being brought to you by Santana Energy Services. Visit SantanaEnergyServices.com. plan savings with three lines of t-mobile essentials versus comparable available plans plan features and taxes and fees may vary we are broadcasting live from the hyundai studios right here on 670 the score it is inside the clubhouse with me matt spiegel and him bruce levine and it's time to talk to our next guest bruce
1: we bring in the president and general manager of the world champions i repeat World champion, Washington Nationals. Does that ever sound or get old for you, Mike Rizzo, to hear world champion?
4: No, it sounds pretty good, Bruce. Matt, thanks for having me on. And uh, no, I don't think I'll get tired of that moniker anytime soon.
1: That, that is pretty amazing. And, and through all these tough times that everybody has had over the last five or six weeks, and uh, I, I know, uh, you know it's not easy anywhere, um, just having time to reflect a little bit on no baseball and what you were able to accomplish. Does, does that help you out on a daily basis, uh, move forward with these uh, unchartered uh, times that we have right now?
4: I think it does. You know, it, uh, the, uh, the problem with, uh, with such, such, uh, uh, so much idle time and on your hands and that type of thing is, you know, your mind wanders on what could have been and should have been. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know when we put all those things in into place that there's not a whole lot of things we would change about uh about last year our championship season, so you know in that regard it's uh it's um, always nice to reminisce, especially uh you know we're watching the replays here in in d c we're watching the replays of all the uh of all the playoffs uh games that we played and won and uh, and it's nice that uh there's absolutely no stress involved because we know the ending of it and uh the ending is positive, so it's uh it's all good.
2: I love that. Yeah. We just finished here on the score running 17 radio broadcasts, every Cubs game, Mike, from the 2016 playoff run, which ended similarly, but, uh, yours is a lot more fresh. Uh, you know, did you, how much of it have you watched and, and, and relived a little bit, uh, without the stress that you had as it was actually going on?
4: Well, you know, I've, I've I never see any of those games on television. So it, it's, uh, interesting to see, uh, you know, the angles and the replays and the takes of the, of the broadcasters and that type of thing. And uh, so it's, it was very interesting to me. And uh, again, you know, you know, the, uh, the outcome is going to be positive. So that, that helps, but it's, uh, it's an interesting take on uh, on the difference of where I watch the games uh, uh, as they were uh, in progress and, and the games uh, right now. So uh, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's a pretty cool perspective.
1: Mike Rizzo, the president and GM of the Nationals, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. Mike, how do you respectfully respond when uh, you know people like me will ask you, um, how do you prepare for a season that you don't know right now uh, when it will take place, uh, if it will take place, and uh, how, how do you and uh, your organization uh, get ready and have meetings on a daily basis to prepare when you don't know if or when?
4: i just think you uh, uh, our communication is the key uh you know we talk to our players on a daily basis our medical people uh, are talking to them on a daily basis uh, our our coaches and player development people are talking to them you know several times during the week so we're staying on top of uh, of uh what their health is like uh what their uh what their preparation is like a- and uh i know we're doing some virtual workouts uh, with our with our training staff with our strength and conditioning guys we're doing uh, we're doing some virtual coaching uh, and uh, and player development type of things with with our players. So you know we're trying to use every aspect uh, of technology that we can to uh, to help us. Uh, but staying in contact and communication with the players, the staff, and and our and our management uh, team is uh, is very important. And uh, you know we're hoping that. Uh, you know, we're going to be at the forefront of this thing. When we do start, we want to hit the ground running. And, uh, and so we have a good feel for where everybody's at. We, all of our players and our pitchers have a strategy and a, and a, and a program to follow. And, uh, and you know, the, uh, the, the part of uh, communicating with them is, is uh, ultimately uh, the most important thing. Mike,
2: what, did, what do you learn as a talent scout, as a baseball scout? I know you're the son of, of, of the late and legendary Phil, and I, I offer you condolences on, on your loss this year. Um, but, you know, here you are as a GM, but I know you've got scout, scouting in your blood. Have you learned anything when you watch TV as opposed to being there? Is it, is it ever beneficial to see anything on TV? Um, or, or do you learn a hell of a lot more in person?
4: Well, there's, there's, there's different things uh, that you can learn from television. There's different things that you have to be at the ballpark for. You know, the television, the, the, the important thing about that is you can replay it, you can stop action it, you can really get in-depth into it. Uh, uh, it to, you know, to me, it's, a, uh, it's an auxiliary tool to, uh, to evaluate and scout. Uh, our advanced scouts use that, uh, that uh, format quite a bit. Uh, now, we'll have, we'll have advanced scouts, uh, at, uh, personnel at a game, Doing the uh, doing the advanced scouting, but uh, we also have uh, uh, three video advanced scouts that uh, help that uh, the uh, on-field advanced scout put together our, our pre-game and our, our strategy for uh, for the upcoming team. So uh, there's certain things that you can't get uh, on TV. It's uh, the feel for the game, the the uh, communication with other scouts, the information that you get from other coaches. Uh, and that is all about uh, experience and relationships throughout the game. And, uh, and, you know, you could always catch something uh, on the field that the, that the television camera isn't pointed at when you're at the ballpark. And so I think that it has to be certainly a hybrid of, of both. And uh, and we utilize both aspects of it, television, video, uh, and in-game scouting very, uh, very effectively here.
1: Mike Rizzo with us for just a few more minutes. The president and GM of the Washington Nationals joins us on inside the clubhouse. Mike, uh, you know, I get queasy asking some of these questions because we still have people that are very sick and dying from this disease. But, uh, you know, baseball is a nice way to escape. It's a great thing that's always been there for the American people. So I'll, I'll, I'll segue back into that conversation a little bit here and ask you, I know you don't know. When baseball is going to start up, or when uh, spring training may or may not happen. But uh, from your perspective as a president and GM, how do you prepare, thinking about your minor leaguers, your your feeder system, and uh, you know what that might look like uh, in getting them possibly ready once the uh, once the powers that be figure out a way to get uh, Major League Baseball up and running
4: well you know this is uh, you know our organizations are, are, are built for the uh, within the depth of, of our, our major league and minor league rosters so uh, you know again we're you know the communication with our with our, uh, our assistant GM of player personnel our farm director our assistant farm director they're in constant contact with uh, with their minor league players again they have a protocol and a program that we've uh, you know, uh, when we had the exit interviews for the players when they left spring training uh, because of the virus this year, we gave them every, uh, a program that they uh, to, that they have to do and, and abide by, and uh, and we're uh, we're constantly monitoring them and and, che- and checking in on them. And when we know what the landscape looks like, we'll make our final adjustments and our final strategies. But until then, it's just a hypothesis, and uh, and we're just guessing. So we're going to stay as ready uh, as we can, as close to being Uh, uh, ready to play as we possibly can in these in these times and uh, when the bell rings and we find out what the rules are and what we're doing we'll we'll put our plan uh, you know into play and uh, and hopefully that we've uh, prepared well enough that uh, we can uh, come out of the gates really really fast uh, because it's going to be a shortened season and uh, and if you come out fast you have a better chance.
2: Mike, I have to ask, when was the first time you laid eyes on Juan Soto as a ball player? How old was he? And did you have a clue then when you saw him that he might turn out to be this special?
4: Well, uh, Johnny DePuglia, our Latin American scout, uh, uh, scout was uh, was with me and we were in Dominican. I think Juan was, I don't know, 14 and a half or 15 and, in know. one of our camps and, and that type of thing. And, uh, and you know, we... Uh, yeah, I, I never thought that he'd be an, an all-star caliber player at 19 years old uh, until uh, you know years after we signed him. But uh, you could tell right away that uh, you know he had a uh, he had an unusually uh, great uh, and sound approach at the plate, even at a very young age. He had the type of swing and mechanics that we liked. He had the body type that we uh, that we uh, go after uh, uh, with our with our scouting philosophy. Uh, but first and foremost, you know we we don't throw around a million and a half dollars uh, uh, in the international market very very uh, often and very easily so this player had to uh, had to really impress me and and uh, our, our guys about uh, you know where he was from what his makeup was like what what his character is like and uh, when you put together the hitting stroke that he had the the, the body type that he had and the uh, and the makeup that uh, that he had our guys did a great job uh, uh, with his uh, with his background, and uh, and you know when you have those good scouts on the ground that have known this guy for years, uh, and they just bring me in to you know c- c- kind of sign off on him, It uh, it's a it's a great process and uh, a process that we're extremely proud of here. And uh, again, we've uh, we've drafted, signed, and developed as many players and as successfully as any team in in the game, and uh, and we wear that uh, with a badge of honor.
1: I'm going to take you back to uh, 2016, the winter meetings. I'm sitting there uh, after you've, uh, I I find you like in one of the restaurants after you made the trade for uh, Adam Eaton. You traded three uh, pretty good young players to the Chicago White Sox for Eaton. And, you know, I'm telling you a little bit about, um, you know, the makeup and the player from my perspective. And, you know, you're smiling and you tell me, you know, that's you know, it's an interesting opinion. We have all kinds of different opinions, but this is the player that we envision that's going to help us win a World Series. Um, it was an interesting conversation, and as it turned out, these are this is one of those great trades where both teams get exactly what they want. Can you talk a little bit about that, Mike, and and the perception of what you were looking for and what the White Sox ended up with with with, a, you know, certainly with Giolito as the lead dog and Lopez a big part of the rotation as well.
4: Yeah, well, you know, we all have a blueprint of what a uh, championship-caliber club uh, World Series champion looks like. Uh, you know, we felt that uh, uh, with the, the possibility of, of a, uh, one of our outfielders, be it Bryce Harper, uh, with the ability for him to leave as a free agent in, in the next couple of years, we needed ourselves a guy that we could we could supplant into the outfield. That's that's going to be a, a, a good veteran presence for us. Uh, we liked a guy that that was uh, Adam was a two-way player. Uh, don't forget he had just come off a incredibly successful season, a six-plus uh, a six WAR type of player. You know, splitting between center field and right field, and uh, and you know, an on on-base percentage guy and. Uh, you know, a guy that was a hustler, and when you played against him, he was really kind of a a thorn in your side, and and that type of thing. And uh, uh, my thought was, we we, we were going to try, we were going to pick up an outfielder that uh, that off season. Uh, Adam Eaton was the exact type of player that I wanted to get. He was a, uh, you know, he's a guy that uh, had an edge to him. I we had done all the work on him, all the all our due diligence on him. You know, he was the guy that that played the game. Uh, with his hair on fire, he played very, very hard. Uh, you know, he'd get under the skin of your opponents at times, and sometimes his own his own teammates at times. Uh, but I thought I thought that we needed that type of guy in our clubhouse. Now we had some beautiful people. We had a great set of, set of guys. You know, the Ryan Zimmerman's and Anthony Rendon's and the Trey Turners and and those type of guys, uh, all even keeled, low key type type of uh, personalities, low key type of leaders. Uh, and I thought that we needed to have a little bit more edge in uh, in our clubhouse, in our lineup, and on the field. And uh, we thought Adam Eaton uh, filled, fulfilled a lot of those uh, those type of things with uh, with uh, when we uh, picked him up in the trade. We we wanted a left-handed hitter who was a contact type of guy who put the ball in play, who give you a grind out at bat, played really good defense. Now, now we got him. He played well for us, uh, you know, very few games early, and then he blew out he blew out the knee, and that, I think that affected him for. About the, the next year and a half after that, uh, I think last year uh, in the, the last couple of months of the season, I think we finally found the you know the the, the Adam Eaton that we expected when we brought over here. Played be- much much better defense. His his, his bat was sound and uh, and not afraid to get a big hit. He had a terrific uh, World Series and playoffs for us, and one is one of the big reasons why we uh, we won the World Series. Uh, so we thought it was the right pickup at the right time, and uh, again. Uh, you know, a couple of years later, we uh, we you know kind of uh, mission accomplished with him. So uh, to get a guy like that uh, w- with the control that we had on him, with the contract that he had, you, know, you have to give away some good players. And all the respect in the world to uh, to Kenny and Rick Hahn over there with the White Sox. They did a, a great job of scouting our farm system and uh, and our big league club. And uh, you know we uh, we had our sights set in Adam Eaton, and they wanted. Uh, certain players for him, and we felt that uh, it was in our best interest to uh, to make that deal. You know, knowing all along that we thought Lucas was going to be a great uh, great pitcher in the big leagues. You know, we took uh, people forget we took him uh, uh, controversially. We took him in the first mm-hmm. round, 15th pick, knowing mm-hmm. that he was going to have have uh, elbow surgery soon thereafter, uh, and uh, drafted him, signed him developed him rehabilitated him and uh and got him to the big leagues and and you know he's become a he's become a a, a great pitcher for the white Sox, and couldn't be happier for that young man and uh and you got some other two uh, two other good arms that have a chance to be good pitchers too so uh where the white Sox were at it was a, it was the right deal for them to make and for where we were at we got the player that i wanted and uh and uh you know, it cost us uh, what it cost us. And, uh, you, know, to, you know, to get a good player, you got to give up some good players. And uh, it was a good baseball deal all, all, uh, all around.
1: Mike, uh, Matt and I appreciate your time today. We look forward to baseball. Congratulations on the mm-hmm. World Series. We're going to miss your dad uh, every day, Phil, a great friend of mine in baseball. So uh, thanks again for taking some time out on a Saturday morning and inside the clubhouse. And uh, all the best to you and the Nats. Let's, let's play ball as soon as we can.
4: Let's do it. Thanks, guys, for having me, and and be healthy and be safe.
1: All right, thanks, Mike Rizzo, Chicagoan, lifelong, and now uh, the the top executive for the Washington Nationals, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse, Matt. Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of a uh, lot of uh, good success there, and uh, a great baseball story as well.
2: This Thursday night should be Cubs and Nationals in Washington D.C., but it is not. And uh, maybe, hopefully, we'll get some baseball at some point this year. That was fun, though. Um, the, uh, it, it is inside the clubhouse right here on 670 The Score. Hit and run comes your way tomorrow morning at 9. Greg Maddox is on the show, looking forward to that. Later on today, it'll be Rosenblum and Grody right after us, and we'll tell you what's on after that when we come back right here on 670 The Score. Welcome back in on Inside the Clubhouse. Um, I don't know if you could tell, Bruce, but I have Juan Soto envy. Was it was it coming through during the course of that was, interview?
1: I, I thought it was Rep Soto envy, not uh, Juan Soto. Uh, I, I, you know, do I have my metrics messed up there or what? Mm-hmm. I mean, Yeah, you got your Yeah, Juan systems. Soto is going to be a monster. He already is already at age is. 20. And uh, those are the kind of things we miss seeing right now. Uh, home runs from Soto and... Acuna and all the White Sox and Cubs players as well. So hopefully we'll get back to it. It's been an enjoyable show today. Really uh, some great uh, stuff, talking to Jim Deshaies and Rick Sutcliffe and now Mike Rizzo, the president and GM of Washington. And tomorrow morning, uh, the conversation gets even better as you get to talk to an icon, the 355-game winner, Greg Maddox, joins you on Hit and Run.
2: Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to talk to him about about so much of what baseball has learned and the pitching conversation has begun or become. There's a lot of stuff that I think he knew uh, and was kind of living and, and, and showing you during his career. After us, it's Rosenblum and Grody at 11 o'clock. And know they're going to talk to Missy Isaacson about the last dance. Uh, Missy lived through it and covered it. Uh, Among other things, they're always a good listen at 11 o'clock. And then later today, a couple of classic football games, Super Bowl 54, the Colts uh, versus the Saints at 2 o'clock. And then at 5.30 tonight, the 1992 AFC wildcard game It's the Oilers and Bills. That is indeed the Frank Reich comeback game. That's tonight on the score at 5.30.
1: Yep, uh, a lot to listen to on the score as well, and uh, I will be uh, joining you and Jim Deshays and Cole Wright uh, Monday on uh, uh, Cubs 360 on the marquee. Looking forward to that. People can listen to me or find me at six uh, seventy thescorecom as I write uh, Cubs and Socks on our website and uh, on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. Have a great week, Matt, and I will talk to you next Saturday.
2: All right, Bruce, thanks so much. Have a great week, everybody. And I'll be back in tomorrow morning, so don't go anywhere. Tomorrow morning for Hit and Run, Greg Maddox on the show. Have a wonderful week. Stay safe. Stay sane. Rosenblum and Grody are next on The Score.